Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog of Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. Hello, I'm Scott Postma, your host, and I'm joined by Joffrey Swader, academic advisor, and we're going to be talking about George Herbert's poem from the temple mm-hmm. um, called The Church Porch. Yes. And really, uh, this episode is continuing the themes that we've been visiting again and again here at the beginning of this podcast. I'm not sure what episode this is, but we may still be single digits. I think we're 16. Six. Holy wow. moly. Yes. <laughs> I think that's where we're at. Yeah. It still feels like the beginning uh, because, you know, we, we, we've been mapping out such large arcs, right? Yeah. And been talking really uh, philosophy and strategy and, and big picture things. And we're continuing to do that today uh, because really what we're talking about is education and society. Yeah. But this poem is going to help us make it very concrete. Your son, your daughter, making the nation great through education. And of course, when we say education, we mean raising our children in Christ. Right. And one of the things I, I love already about this episode, and even though we haven't got started, you know, we're just getting started. I love how concise um, so much wisdom, you know, how concise this poem is and brings so much wisdom to us about these ideas, these big arcs we've been talking about. And yet Herbert puts it out here for us in ways that are bite-sized to chew on, to think about. Yeah. And so we're going to title this episode today, um, The Way to Make Thy Son Rich, right? The purpose, the true purpose of an education. Mm, make thy son rich. And so, you know, we, we hope that we have some new listeners who, who clicked on this saying, Hey, wait a second. I know Scott, I know Joffrey. I know that they're, they're not talking about just the bankroll, right? right? They're talking about something else, something bigger. And that's right. But we're, that's the title, the way to make thy son rich. And you know, this, the, the church porch is the portion of the temple uh, that we'll be reading from, and we'll be reading a small portion of it. Um, They're sort of uh, little proverbs, you know, little, little six line proverbs, um, that are are sort of introducing because in the church porch you're getting prepared to go in for worship, right. right? And as you continue to read the temple, then it becomes much more uh, worship oriented, becomes much more ecclesiastical, much more christological. Uh, but here in the front porch, it's very much about the quotidian life. Yes, mm-hmm. and I I love that we're here on the church porch and we're talking about education right. and preparing for this. This is wonderful. So before I ask you to read uh, the segment we're going to talk about today. Tell us a little bit, tell our listeners about George Herbert. When did he live? What's his significance in the, the life of poetry? He um, was an Elizabethan poet. Um, and so Elizabeth died uh, when he was quite young. So I suppose calling him Elizabethan is maybe a bit of a stretch, but he only lived to be, to be 39. I suppose hmm. that might've been a ripe old age, <laughs> <laughs> but he lived to be 39. He, he wasn't a particularly healthy, but he was robust in his work. Hmm. Um, and after he became a priest, he actually, uh, uh, developed quite a reputation for being one who brought the sacraments to those who were ill, who, who fed the poor. And he was very active, but he was, he was, he was very active in a way that connected what he did and, you know, what he was teaching to worship, yeah. right. To, to worshiping as a body, to worshiping in the context of the church. Um, and he, he, he is, he's one of those poets. So he, he wrote religious devotional poetry and most people who know him, I think, know him from the poem Easter Wings, mm-hmm. 
Uh, it often even gets includes, included in anthologies of modern poetry because Easter Wings is that poem that looks like a butterfly or like angel wings when it's on the page. Right. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that, you know, modernists often like to, to attach onto that because they only write poetry for the page. But Herbert was not such a man. He wrote, he wrote poetry for public consumption. Uh, he wrote poetry to change lives, not just to look at belly buttons. And he wrote poetry to the glory of Christ here in, in this poem. When I read it, uh, um, we'll, I'll read the, the all four of the little verses that we want to focus on. But then we're actually going to really unpack it. So, you know, the first time when you, oh, listener, hear it read, just enjoy the rhythms of it, some of the phrases that, that come out. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's not one of those things that you, one grasps immediately upon that first reading. So let's just, we'll just have a good listen. And then we're actually going to kind of go through and, and hit a bunch of lines, you know, in, in order and kind of develop the theme of the show. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot to unpack here. So, yeah, let's enjoy it. All right. So this is... Um, uh, the ver verses 16 through 19 of the church porch. O England, full of sin, but most of sloth, spit out thy phlegm and fill thy breast with glory. Thy gentry bleats as if thy native cloth transfused a sheepishness into thy story. Not that they all are so, but that the most are gone to grass and in the pasture lost. This loss springs chiefly from our education. Some till their ground, but let weeds choke their sun. Some mark a partridge, never their child's fashion. Some ship them over, and the thing is done. Study this art, make it thy great design. And if God's image move thee not, let thine. Some great estates provide, but do not breed a mastering mind, so both are lost thereby. Or else they breed them tender, make them need all that they leave. This is flat poverty. For he that needs five thousand pound to live is full as poor as he that needs but five. The way to make thy son rich is to fill his mind with rest before his trunk with riches. For wealth without contentment climbs a hill to feel those tempests which fly over ditches. But if thy son can make ten pound his measure, then all thou addest may be called his treasure. <laughs> there are so many fabulous short little aphorisms here that, that yeah. are just really worthy of unpacking and um, and some of them are more uh, clever than others and, and, yes. and striking. Um, as a matter of fact, given some of the things that we're watching happen in our modern mm -hmm. culture, these are, are fairly striking given this was written in the 1500s. Oh, exactly. We didn't even get to the to the verse that talks about masks. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not in a, in a COVID context, but, you know, so w our approach here, we're not going to break this down literarily. Uh, mm -hmm. What we're going to do is, is to is use these thoughts to talk about Christian education today yeah. in our society. So the fact that he opens here in this, you know, set of stanzas with, oh, England, full of sin, and, but most of sloth. So we could really apply that to, you know, our household. This could be to our country, you know, to the yes. United States in a lot of ways. But I love this. So, oh, England, full of sin, but most of sloth. Right. So, yes, we can talk about the sins um, of our fathers. We can talk about our own sins. We can talk about the sins of the country. But really, what we're talking about is the sin of slothfulness. Right? Yes. And, you know, it's so, you know, I, I think I think this is a, a really good message for alternative educators such as myself. Right. Like we've been we've been over our education pedigree and uh, and our enthusiasm for for educating uh, non-institutionally. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but, you know, I think that there is there's a good warning in here that uh, although we reject certainly the state's institutions, right? Right. 
um, we we need to remember that demolition is a lot easier than construction. Sure and we is. can get addicted to that. We can get addicted uh, to calling out all the sin around us. And that's an important thing to do. Mm-hmm. But at, at a certain point, we ought to be rolling up our sleeves, getting our hands in the mud and making something. And so I, I think that's that, 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 that sloth piece, right? It's just easy to keep going with the criticisms. How about we get to work? Right. Absolutely. And there's two things that really come to my mind about that in, in terms of our our current state of affairs in the culture, because really this is a, a, a poem about society, the education forms society. Right? Yes. Um, we have failed, I would say, maybe maybe this is a stretch for some, but we failed as the church really to disciple the yes. nations, right? And so we're in this predicament today because we've not done our job well. There's sloth in that. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, um, on a more practical level, one of the big um, critiques of home educators and um, and private non-institutional education has been the fact that there's a lot of sloth, right? That that mm-hmm. maybe the rigor isn't there. It's a, it's a, an excuse to not do anything at all. And some of the the critiques, um, I don't think most of them are are warranted. But I think there are some that are warranted. I've been with some families that you know maybe have been slothful in this right. this duty. Well, yeah, I, I I recall when I started homeschooling. So, you know, we, uh, we moved up from Brazil and we'd been going to private schools mostly. And then we went to Canada mm-hmm. and I did one year in seventh grade, I did a public school in Canada and that was 1990. So, you know, right around when homeschooling was moving very much the fringe into like, you know, people are kind of starting to be aware of what it is, et cetera. We moved to California and, um, you know, half of the kids in our co-op were from Christian families mm-hmm. and half uh, were from hippie families. I suppose some of the hippies were Christians, but, um, and <laughs> I remember being astounded, just, uh, just my mind boggled. It still kind of boggles a little bit, but I didn't have the context to understand where California hippies were coming from. I was 12 years old, 13 years old, and I, I knew people who couldn't read. Wow. Right. Because the parents had decided that, uh, well, that. I guess it was optional. I don't know. And, and, and it is ultimately optional. Ultimately, right. the families do have that sovereignty. Um, and hey, let's have that rest. But, you know, scole is not the same thing as slacking. Right. Well, <laughs> the, the scripture that comes to mind that says that all things are lawful, but not everything's edifying. Right. right. You know, not, not, you know, maybe we could make an application there. <laughs> but I love how, you know, there's this line here. So, you know, so full of sin, but most of sloth spit out thy phlegm and fill thy breast with glory. I mean, the phlegm, the humor thing, that's great. Like, you know, just, just clear, you know, let me clear my throat, but, but I love the word glory mm-hmm. here and, you know, just understanding that, that work will result in glory. Right. Right. And we don't have to necessarily have other people, certainly not the, the state tell us what constitutes work. Right. But God does command us to work. So if, if all our work is, is sitting, sitting on the couch all day, reading this book, that's great. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that sounds wonderful. We don't have to do 60 minutes of algebra, 60 minutes of chemistry. We could sit on this couch all day and read this book. That, that would be great. But is there glory coming from it? Right. Right, That's, that's the, you know, so let's work, let's make some things and fill our breasts with glory. So we're, we're replacing here, we're replacing the phlegm, you know, that, that, creates, you know, stagnation yes. <laughs> uh, and fill your breast with glory. So there is a, there's an activity here. And as we're going to unpack here in a moment, we're not talking about vainglory here. Right. You know, we're talking about real glory. Right. So this next lines, um, 
thy gentry, I, I love this, uh, thy gentry bleats as if thy native cloth transfused a sheep in, a sheepishness into thy story. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so good. And it's so good in a, in a context where, you know, half the memes that we're seeing are about sheeple. Right, sheeple, right? yeah. <laughs> but it, it is interesting, I think, how uh, this is talking about the gentry, yeah. right? Like Herbert has this sense that the nobility ought to be the best of us. They ought to be glorious, yes. right? I mean, that's what the nobility, you know, signifies. And that's where that difference is. You know, like when we use the word sheeple, we're talking about the masses, right? right? The unwashed masses, the hoi polloi. Hey, hey, you know, if we're supposed to be lords upon the earth, having dominion, right? Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name, if that's what we're supposed to be doing, um, then then we of all people, ought to be behaving as the gentry ought to, as lords and ladies ought to, and not to be sheep. And this is another one of those things where it's easy to make fun of the sheeple. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you doing? Right, right. That And it comes back to your earlier comment. It's easy to, to make the critique, right? But what are we actually doing to not, you know, to not be that, to, to, to be the masters, to be the lords, and to enact that that brings about the glory? Right, take up that responsibility. Yeah. So th- this line here, and and you know, not to beat this drum too long, but transfused a sheepishness into thy story. So really, <laughs> I mean, you've what we've done is we've we've made you know we we've made that part of our story. We've made that sort of our identity, isn't it? You know, yeah. like the the sheepleness, and and certainly when we talk about institutions, um, we're talking about you know the development of sheeple, right? That that is exactly what institutionalized learning often creates. Uh, especially that that we've talked about the Prussian model of a public school system. Right. And then the, so that creates lost sheep in the pasture lost. Right. Right. And that takes us uh, to the first line of the next verse, which is this loss, this loss of, of, of our leaders, of our, of our great men. This loss springs chiefly from our education. Mm-hmm. Some till their ground, but let weeds choke their son. So we take care of ourselves. We have our career. We have our work, but uh, we don't, Give the give place to the education of our own children, and that's what leads to the lost sheep. I mean, could it be any clearer? Yeah, no, and and I think there's this wonderful illusion, at least um, in my mind here, that the weeds, because what what did Jesus say that the weeds, you know, in the the different kinds of ground, that the weeds spring up and, and yes. choke out, you know, the riches and cares of this life choke that out, and who is it choking here? Their son. Yeah, you know, and I was in a conversation with a friend recently about. Uh, um, the approaches that different denominations and traditions may have to church planting. And, and you know, we were talking about the context in which certain traditions almost seem to target shallow ground, yeah. shaly ground. Yeah. They almost seem to target the sort of ground where the seed springs up quickly and then shrivels in the sun. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you see immediately, Oh, look, look at all these sprouts. Right. 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 Um, but I think that educating families do the same thing. Sure. You know, which is that we, you know, we often look for a quick fix or we look for a method, right? We look for a quick result, uh, a quick test score, but there's no actual long-term fruit. There's no, there's no, you know, we lose the sheep in the pasture, right? Right. You know, because we're looking, we're looking for these, for this quick, this quick fix that the weeds aren't going to end up choking out. We're not planting a robust planting. Well, we're making a a ephemeral measurement standards, right? We're, we're, we're measuring, measuring by uh, ephemeral standards that that don't have any real value to them, but they, they feel good in the moment. Right. And we're going to, you know, we're going to, because of this poem and and its arc, we're going to be getting into rest and scole more, but I think it bears mentioning now Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, 
part of the solidity of a good education is context and pace. Mm-hmm. Just the slow cook of a good education. Yeah. We're not talking, and just, just to be clear, I mean, we, we've talked here about some of this, you know, flash in the pan sort of approach to things. But we're not talking on, on the ditch on one side is the phlegm and the ditch on the other side is the, the short-lived, you know, quick, you know, um, you know, springing up and this brings some satisfaction. But the education is disciplined. It is the nurturing, the admonition. These things take time. There's patience. And this idea of scole is not being lazy. It's not being slothful. Um, and it's not seeking for the quick fix. It's not the, that quick test score, if you will, you just mentioned Right. Um, but the idea that we are going to be in this for a long time. And that's that's what cultivates. I mean, when you think about the land being cultivated and and the these ideas that are being used here, it takes time to fertilize, to to toil the you know, uh, to till the soil, to um to plant, to harvest. You know, all of that takes time and there are certain seasons and processes that we have to go through. Right. You know, and in talking about about education, you're in the this verse that talks about how, you know, th- they never fashion their own child's right. education. They just, they're concerned about their own, mm-hmm. their career advancement, yep. et cetera. They don't fashion their own, their own child's. But then there's this fascinating line. Some ship them over and the thing is done. Right, referring to like boarding school, right. which was, you know, that was something yep. that the gentry did even then. And, and I think we can take that beyond boarding school into all the other school options that are out there. Sure. Right? Send them off to public school and it's done. We're, we're, we've done it. Exactly right. Yeah. And so there's this, there's this idea that we, we can just, assign our children to someone else. Right. And you know, it's, I, I almost said it's an interesting tension, but it's not a tension, but we'll, we'll call it attention. <laughs> uh, I mean, so, you know, Kepler is, is here providing teachers, providing masters on, on, on certain subjects, but we try to structure everything as much as we can. And we, we talk a lot about it and a lot of that, that, that adds accountability uh, to us, but you know, we, we want everyone to understand in every relationship that Kepler has, that the parents are responsible. Right. And at, at no point are parents signing their kids over to us. We won't accept that. You know, parents need to take to have dominion of their family's education. We want to be able to help with that. But it's not just go- the reason I'm mentioning that is that it's not just government schools. Right. Like th- there, there are, it is it is tiring to raise your children sure and to is. educate them. I think it can be helpful to remember that education and raising are the same thing. Right. Right. I think that can that can help. Um, but. So we, we often end up just handing over responsibility for our kids to a great Christian school, to a good homeschooling co-op, right? You know, so it's important, regardless of the quality of the education that they may be getting here or there, that you be the primary educators. Well, if we think of these um, co-ops or, or educators at Kepler, you know, if we think of them as resources to help us exactly. to do the job that we're supposed to do, then that, that sort of sets things in its right priority, right? It's not offloading the responsibility of your children. Um, and, and the most obvious is like in this poem to, a, you know, send them over somewhere to a boarding school or something. But it's very easy sometimes to trust the Sunday school teacher, the Christian school teachers, yes. that, you know, who are actually teaching good things and yeah. are and are wise and noble men and women who you would want your children to be like. Exactly, but we can't take the hands nope, off. That's right. right. Yeah, and this so that leads to such a poignant line: "Study this art, make it thy great design, and if God's image move thee not, let thine." <laughs> that's such a hit to the heart because it, what he's saying is, listen, this kid of yours is made in God's image. That should be enough for you to work the very best for him. Right. 
But if that's not enough, remember that the kid looks like you. You're right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I love that. It it so much reminds me of some of the Shakespearean sonnets, the idea of, you know, when he tells the young man, it's time to get married because you need to to bless the world with a, you know, with your own image. So there's some of that same sort of language going on here. But if it's not, you know, if it's remarkable that he puts it in these terms, because if, if God's image isn't enough, you know, um, could we say that, you know, seeing that it's our own child, is that enough? Is right. that enough for, is that enough to move parents to say, you know, this is my offspring. This is my child. This is, you know, my responsibility. And it's more than just a responsibility. I don't want it to, to sound like, you know, this is, you know, my responsibility. And when they turn 18, I'm done with it. You know, that's, that's not the heartbeat. It's such a contextless uh, yeah. a, a, a idea for responsibility as well. The pagans have what Herbert is laying out here as the right. minimum. Right. Right. And I think sometimes we, we lack a little bit of that. It's very good uh, that we as Christians think of, of the kingdom of God first. Mm-hmm. And we know our children are not ultimately our own. Right. And yet God blesses families and he works through families. And we need to understand that, that our work and our legacy with our children will never be over. Yeah. Right. I mean, their, their honor is our honor. It, it is um, generationally. Yes. Yeah. Not, not just with one generation. I, I want to back up to one line here, just in light of what you're saying that we, we, we mentioned, but kind of skipped over a little bit, but it says, study this art and make it thy great design. And I thought that's interesting given back, you know, going back versus some till their own ground, right? They till their ground, but then um, they let the, the weed choke their sons. Study this art, make it thy great design. It's not about our career path. Right. That should be our great design. That and, and many people in the modern world do slough off their responsibility to their children, put them in school, whether it's public or private or boarding school, whatever, so that they can make the chief design. Their art you know, of life is my career, what I'm going to achieve. And and I th- I think, you know, even as a, a father myself, you know, young, you, you're sort of kind of conditioned to think that yes. way. Like, this is my responsibility to build my career. And, le- and let's not, you know, le- let's not let's be the first to say that this is not about you sacrificing your career so that your children can have good careers of their own. Right. No, no, no. We're, that's not the cycle that we want to be in. We're thinking about our families and their place in the history of God. Right. Right. So your career is not to be your priority. Neither are your children's to be theirs. And this, and this is what comes back to, this is what fills your breast with glory, right? Yes. This is the glory, not the fact that you made CEO or that you made whatever next up on the corporate ladder or that you achieved some financial status in the bank because you're going to die and somebody else is going to spend them. Yes. <laughs> and we're going we're to be talking about true wealth soon. Yeah. But, you know, there's, if, if you, if you have a good house and you put food on the table your responsibility is not done. Right. And so many fathers have, have been trained to think that way. I, I'm a very good dad because I have a very good house and a very plenteous bread upon the table. Right. That's actually not, that's not what the measure is. Well, but I think part, partly too, though, is if you're finding your glory in your career, so to speak, or, or the job that you're doing and not in raising your sons, in not, you know, finding that glory. And that's the temptation, I think, yeah. of, of the, the modern family, even the modern Christian family, you know, to find your glory in something that's, that's temporal and not uh, eternal. I think that, that maybe the next verse, we could read the whole thing again. Yeah, let's do it. Some great estates provide, but do not breed a mastering mind, so both are lost thereby. Mm. Or else they breed them tender, make them need all that they leave. This is flat poverty. 
For he that needs 5,000 pounds to live is full as poor as he that needs but five. This is not just poverty. This is flat poverty. <laughs> <says>. <laughs> Dull, boring. Yeah. yeah. Uh, flat poverty. Straight up. Yep. So if you provide the greatest state, but you don't teach your children, um, you know, a mastering mind, you lose both. Yes. Right. Right. And I think, you know, it, it needs to be very clear. A great estate is a desirable thing. Mm-hmm. If you can only choose one, make sure you have the mastering mind. Right. And that will bring the great estate at some point, yeah, if yeah. not for you, for your children and your grandchildren. I'm going to butcher, but Lewis says something to that effect, right? If you're, if you're just reaching for this, um, if you reach for earth, things of earth, you're going to lose that and heaven. But if you reach for heaven, you're going to gain that and the things of earth as well. I've always loved that as a much more poetic expression in the posters I used to see that would say, uh, if you shoot for the, for the stars, you'll reach the moon. Something. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, so sorry, back to Lewis's brilliant. uh, No, I, I have a way of making Lewis not sound so brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) No, Every time I hear that quote, I think of that, those posters and it's, it's a shame. Uh, so, so you're going to lose both if you don't strive for the right one. If you strive for the right one, you'll likely get both here. Now he says, or else they breed them tender. Mm. Mm, Whoa. A- <laughs> so are, wait, are we talking about uh, safe spaces yes. and woke children? I think that's exactly what we're talking about. Oh, so that's man. interesting that in the 1500s, 16th century, he's talking about raising your children to be tender and we're not talking about tender in a positive way here right you know this isn't you know having a a careful heart for for the needy or something like that or else they breed them tender make them need all that they leave this is flat poverty yeah yeah so this is you know this is this is the failure of parents to raise their children in a way to recognize that life isn't just about getting everything you want right right it's not about getting your way it's not about uh there's so much more to that I think there's such an element today that um, in our society that believes that, you know, we shouldn't suffer, mm-hmm. you know, that, yes. that there shouldn't be. Uh, we see it all, all around us right now. Yeah. And, and this is part of the sloth that creates a society. So maybe we're saying here that there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I feel like I've heard that somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's, it's really kind of, it's distressing to think how how little we are equipping our children for glory Mm -hmm. do we imagine that glory can be achieved without a little hurt yeah without a little suffering of course not how could how could it be glorious otherwise and what the saddest thing for me is that we have resigned ourselves to inglorious lives and you know it's we, we we don't need to have the acclaim of the world mm-hmm. and that's not what it's about but when when we labor for god and we look for meaning in our lives is there glory in what we've done glory that maybe only god knows about right right or are we simply marking time and that would be sad the saddest thing there is that we're equipping our children to the, to do the same thing we're not teaching our kids to live in a blaze of glory. We want our kids to be safe and long lived as possible instead of actually believing in eternity that they could do something stunning, worthy of a poem with their lives. Well, that, that might play into this sort of democratic mindset that if somebody lives glorious, that it's automatically conflated with some sort of vain glory, right? right? Some sort of elitist, 
but I was going to say something a minute ago, but you you were waxing so eloquent and it was so good. Uh, I was going to make a joke, you know, with the idea of, you know, I want the glory participation trophy, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because, you know, if, um, you know, we, we, somebody can't stand out because they were willing to suffer. They were willing to go the extra mile for it because, you know, we want our children to be safe and tender and, you know, yeah. And um, that's on us. Yeah, it is. So you're saying then, I won't go there. You're saying that the woke children is from this last generation, right? Or yeah. generations before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, but you know, it's, it, it, it's, there, there's a lot about modernity and post-modernity that have led this, us to this point of crisis, but let's not forget that the material aspect is a big part of it. Right. There's a reason that he's really, he's talking about the children of the gentry here. Right. Um, but we all have that. We all have indoor plumbing and meet more than once a week. Yeah, we absolutely do. This is, and I think this is why this poem was so compelling is because it, it seems so, um, relevant to yes. today, given the fact that it's, you know, over 500 years but old. Before we move on to the, the, really what the, the, the crux of what we're going to talk about is coming up very soon. I just want to dwell again on those lines for he that needs 5,000 pounds to live is full as poor as he that needs but five. Yeah. You know, and it, I guess there's not a whole lot to say besides what, besides what he said. Uh, but I think we need to start transitioning and, you know, this, the next verse will, will definitely help with that into thinking of wealth as would intellectual property be an okay way of phrasing that the inheritance that you leave your children may include mansions. Mm-hmm. That's great. May include great businesses. Super. But the, the the essential part of the inheritance. Yeah, because he, he does use the term here that about master a mastering mind, right? Mm-hmm, and so that, right. that is a sort of intellectual uh gravitas, a, a sort of uh intellectual acumen that that they should be um carrying on with him. But I mean, really this as as you mentioned, this is it's pretty straightforward. But if if a person can't live, you know, if they're gonna be poor on on fifteen, what was it? Um uh, 5,000 5, pounds, they're going to be poor on five. It's, it's not a matter of, of the amount, right. You know, as we're going to see contentedness, stewardship, all of these things come into play when it doesn't matter what the, you know, you just, if, if you've got 5,000 pounds and you're, you know, slothful and you're exorbitant in your living, you're going to have the same problems that you had when you were at. Where's the glory? Yeah. That's vain glory. Yeah, what you're that, talking about, right? Yep. That's the prodigal son. That's the, yep. Yeah, exactly. So take us to this next stanza. This is, like you said, the crux of it. And this is the one that kind of, you know, makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. The way to make thy son rich is to fill his mind with rest. Before. Well, I'm not going to even read that yet. (laughs) I just want us to sit on that. We'll just stop right there. The way to make thy son rich is to fill his mind with rest. Yeah. Wow. And then let me read the whole verse. Yeah. Okay. The way to make thy son rich is to fill his mind with rest before his trunk with riches for wealth without contentment climbs a hill to feel those tempests, which fly over ditches. Mm -hmm. But if thy son can make 10 pound his measure, then all thou addest may be called his treasure. Yeah. There's the contentedness that brings about everything else's gratitude and yes, you know, wealth. um, Scott, how, how, can I make my son rich by filling his mind with rest? Mm, so this is the idea of Skolay, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So before you teach them how to, you know, to have a craft or a job or a career, they need to learn how to learn. They need to learn how to learn in rest. They need to know how to have leisure. 
And I think one of the biggest problems we have in our culture today with leisure is we fill our leisure time with amusements and entertainment. Yes. We're not mastering our minds. Right. That's exactly right. To master the mind would be to exercise it in quality conversations, on good books. You're making me feel very, very bad about the amount of time I spent on YouTube, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am not your conscience here, but if you're... (laughs) That's fair. fair. Uh, Well, but the fact is... When, when we watch television or, you know, an exorbitant amount of YouTube or these things where these things are acting upon our minds, mm-hmm. we're sitting passively letting it happen to us. To read, to engage in conversation requires us to act, you know, to, to be active in it and to master the, you know, our, our intellect. So let's unpack that a little bit because it, it feels like there could be a bit of a disjoint here. Okay. You're talking about being active. In rest. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk to me, Scott. Okay. <laughs> okay. So restfulness here is resting from the activity of gaining wealth, of making a name for yourself, of building mm. your career. But it really is in rest. The idea of scole or school, we, we've talked about this idea of leisure, is we have time apart from the activity of making money or producing products or yes. being a cog in society. And in, in really in the ancients, they they kind of uh, pitted the contemplative life against the active life, right? So being involved in politics, starting businesses, all the kind of things yes. that that we think of college today as preparing our, our children uh, to get the right job. Yeah. Is this going to lead them to a career path? That's the wrong question. That's the wrong direction. Is it preparing them to be the best human being that they can be? Mm. Do they think well? Can they pray? Can they read? Can they engage? And engaging in that sort of activity is actually refreshing and renewing it is and i I think this brings us to a a couple of old-fashioned words for fun okay okay so a couple of different ways to say fun in the past have been diverting right Mm -hmm. diversion and another one is recreation sure and those suggest two very different things i'm going to add one in there too and Mm -hmm. and i don't want to get you off track too late i'm off my track now (laughs) but escape also in in a qualified way well i I think that's actually what you know diversion suggests right so it's it's diverting it's distracting it turns me to another side, right? right. It, it diverts me. So I'm, I'm looking at my life. I'm living my life. I'm building my life. I'm going for glory. And then I need some moments of diversion or I need some moments of recreation. Right. Right. And, you know, I, I love, uh, I love, was it Lewis or Tolkien who had that maxim about the jailers are the ones who want to keep you from escaping. Yep. That's Tolkien and escape is. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I dig that. Um, but, you know, I, I want I want us to, to really have have a thought when it comes to fun and to rest that what we're doing is we're recreating. We are mm-hmm. renewing. Right. right. And if if, if like when, when you read Tolkien on 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 that, then you you understand that what the jailers are trying to keep you from is stuff that actually renews the mind. Right. It renews you. So you're, you're trying to escape out of the jail to somewhere mm-hmm. else, somewhere good. Yes. Right. So often there is true escapism, like the, the bad stuff, right? Where, right? You're, where you're just alleviating yourself from any responsibilities. Yes. Yeah. Well, really, it, ultimately it's suicidal. Sure. You wish your life were over. Right. Right. Uh, and it's that grave of a thing. Carl Sandburg comes to mind. 
Okay. Carl Sandburg, who was the voice uh, in the, the Jungle Book, I think, of uh, The Lion, mm-hmm. uh, but also a famous actor. I think it was in- Carl Sandburg uh, is the famous poet. He was a poet also. He, yes. was a, he acted. Wow. Um, he was an actor. Oh, he was a voiceover actor, uh-huh. wow, um, but cool. a poet. But he committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And his suicide note basically said, I'm bored. I'm There's nothing left for me to do. I'm bored. I leave you to this cesspool. Uh, goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, and which himself. is what so many of the, the 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 right to choose your death crowd that you know that's mm-hmm. that's what they're about because their lives are boring and lack and glory. So are all of this to circle back around to uh, the gift for our sons, the riches for our children is to fill their minds with rest, with recreation, with restoration, right, with dominion over their own minds and over themselves. And sometimes I said this earlier, but sometimes we substitute entertainment for recreation. Mm-hmm. And so when we say, let's go on vacation, this is going to be some sort of R&R. This is recreation. It's not that it can't be. It, it, it can be used that way. But a lot of times families come back from vacation so tired. Yes. You know, I, I need to come back to work so that I can, you know, so I can recuperate from the vacation. Which What that tells you is, is that your routine is your life. Yes. And that, that's a bad place to be in. Mm-hmm. You need to fight that. Uh, but that that also applies to the student life sure. with our own children. Mm-hmm. You know, is the routine that we are imposing upon our children one that is that is stifling the blooming life within? You know, <laughs> yeah. we, we fill the fill them up with so much to do. Well, here's something, and I, I'm not going to get get the statistics of it right, so I'm just going to kind of give the broad brush implications. Okay. If you go back to the Old Testament. And you look at the number of times that they were to take vacation, if you will, right? To, uh, so the Feast of Booths, the, you know, the the various feasts that they went, they spent so many weeks apart from labor, not just the Sabbath, but but then weeks apart from there in feasting, in celebrating, um, in in a sort of recreational worship. Um, there there was this, and I say recreational, not in the sense that it was just you know uh, levitas and all just fun, but it was a, it was it was to cultivate and. I don't think the modern person today could ever stand up. The first time that I calculated how many days it was by reading through it, I don't think the modern person today could probably, you know, interact in that kind of life. Oh, and we as Americans would be absolutely scandalized, right? Like we make fun of Europeans for their, for their work weeks and for their right. vacation structures. Right. And a lot of it is quite mockable, but the reason it could be made fun of is that it's it's divorced from Christ, right? Right. It's it's absent of any meaning in life. Mm-hmm. People are simply workers. That's how they define themselves. And you know what companies and governments require of workers is kinder in Europe than here. Sure. Um, that doesn't absolve us from any. Like I saw a meme the other day uh, that said, you know, when uh, when you email a Frenchman and he's on vacation, the answer you get back is. Um, I am camping for two months. Email me in September. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, when you email an American with an away message, like I am currently uh, in uh, in surgery, getting a kidney removed, uh, but you can text me at any time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there's we we have a problem right. as Americans. Sure. With with leisure, with rest, with having lunch. Like we can't handle having lunch. We feel guilty. Our bosses glare at us and we feel like they're glaring at us. You know, we, we, we can't actually like take a moment in which we are in charge of our own work. And then we pass it on to our children and sure. we make them study that way. And we, we, yeah, we impose the sort of guilt or shame on them for not having that, you know, that same sort of drive. I was just going to ask you, you know, do you lunch at your desk? 
I do. <laughs> I even eat in the car sometimes. <laughs> Which, I mean, shame. But it goes to show us, you know. I mean, it, it goes to say something. And, and by the way, that wasn't on you. I, I do the oh, same yeah. thing. Yeah, and, I know. And, we work together. You've and, seen me. <laughs> and, and well, and there's this this idea where we you know better, but you're feeling like I've got all this stuff I need to I need yeah. to try to get done. And so here he's saying, the way to make thy son rich, here's real wealth, is to fill his mind with rest before his trunk with riches. The the student who knows how to manage his leisure, who knows the the son who knows how to manage his leisure, how to master his mind is going to be the one who can handle wealth well. Yes. For wealth without contentment climbs a hill to feel those tempests which fly over ditches. So what that's saying is if you have all all of this wealth and you can't be content, you can't rest. You actually are walking straight into the storm. Right. Like it's like you're looking for trouble. And then we, we see that all around us. Sure. People, we, we cannot be happy with our lives because we're just spinning after fiduciary gain, <laughs> right? And not actually having any, our, our work means nothing. Yeah. How could we have recreation if our work is meaningless? Yeah. If, yeah. The work, yeah. that's a really good point. So he says, if thy son can make 10 pounds his measure, then all thou addest may be called his treasure. Mm -hmm. So you can be content with this then everything else becomes blessing, everything else, um, because it's not a burden. And sometimes having extra wealth or having more responsibility and climbing that corporate ladder and all the things we go after, sometimes people hit a place of anxiety that it's really overwhelming. And, and so it's really not a gift to be able to achieve that. Right. You know, but, but that's where you have to go. That's what, it, that's what, you know, that's what you're required to do. That's the glory, if you will, of a society who thinks that way, mm -hmm. right? That hasn't learned rest before they've learned how to, you know, to fill their uh, trunks with riches. So if there were one notion or one change uh, that you'd want listeners to, to walk away with from, from this podcast, what would it be? It would be learn how to learn. And, and what I mean by that is coming back to this idea of leisure, of scole, and learn how to be content that you have filled an hour or two hours reading a book is not time wasted. Having a quality conversation with someone um, in, in terms of virtue and wisdom being gained, that is not lost time and productivity mm -hmm. because you didn't, you know, work another hour and, you know, make an extra 15 bucks or whatever it is that, right. you know, that, that you're striving for. Um, having all of the toys, you know, this idea of the, he with the most toys in the end wins sort of mentality mm -hmm. that, that Americans so, so possess, um, you're going to die and somebody else is going to spend those things or, or use them. And nobody ever goes to their deathbed saying, you know, I wish I would have spent more time at the office. Right. Right. So we learn to master our minds. And when we do that, here's the interesting part. It's not just about leisure and education and, and for, um, for your job and all these things, but this is about contemplation on God and who we are, you know, in relationship to God. This is contemplation about what our life means, thinking well, so that the time that we do work is spent working wisely. Right. You know, and, and toward a good end. And, you know, just kind of connecting us back to the beginning of, of the poem, when we till our own ground mm -hmm. in this way, let's not forget to not let the weeds choke our sons. Yeah. Right. Like we want to have the same thing for our children and train them up and how to live that way. Not just think to ourselves, well, you know, how can I, you know, keep living and keep working and, and okay, well, I need more rest. Yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. So do your kids. So do they do. Yeah, absolutely. 
teach them so that they can teach their children. And then what comes out of that? It's a society where the gentry truly isn't filled with phlegm, but their breasts are filled with glory. Amen. So, well, Joffrey, thanks for uh, this Herbert poem and uh, unpacking this here with me today. And I've certainly enjoyed it. It's um, there's a few lines we didn't read. So listeners, if you pick this copy up, continue the, the next couple of stanzas are fabulous as well uh probably worthy of their own show but we yes. won't take the time to do that here <laughs> yeah it was, so. it's been great scott thank you so long everybody <laughs>